Hello, and welcome to Magic is Real, a podcast focused on the fascinating world of near-death experiences, spirit communication, and all things metaphysical and spiritual. The mission of this project is to share messages of hope and inspiration with others, and to spread the word that death is only an illusion. Thank you for being here with an open heart and mind. I wish you peace, light, and love always. Magic Israel listeners and family. It is so great to have you here today. I'm really excited to have with me this lovely, bubbly, fun woman that I've been wanting to interview for such a long time. Her name is Dr. Mary Helen Hensley, which is the cutest name. And I was afraid I was going to screw it up because it's like, it's just, it's a tongue twister in some weird way. Um, But it's a beautiful name and a beautiful woman. And I have Dr. Mary Helen Hensley here because... She is a metaphysical healer. She's also an author of a children's book, which I love. um, And I'd love for you to talk about that as well. And then also a book called Understanding is the New Healing. Uh, Mary Helen became a a metaphysical healer. And it's a story that I'm going to have her tell you. She had a near-death experience. And through this journey, she realized that her contact with spirit before all of this happened uh, was sort of no coincidence. And that's what we're going to talk about. But I will let her put voice to it because who better to give voice to her own story than Dr. Mary Helen Hensley. Welcome. Thank you for being here from Ireland. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be here. I am delighted to have you. I love your energy. And um, you're also from Virginia. I live there now. So I we have that in common. And I would love to start. I just want you to talk about real quick your, your children's book, because I think it's a beautiful concept. And it it may not, I don't know if it has anything to do with what we're talking about, but I just think it's worth sharing because I think you should get it out there. So um, if you can just tell me a little bit about each of your books uh, to start, that'd be great. Okay. So, well, I have nine books now at this stage. Oh, that's right. Yes. And, I meant to ask um, you that too. Yeah. The, uh, well, they started with, um, the first book was called Promised. And then there was one called Circles of Light and then The Land Beyond the River. And those books ended up being condensed into a single book called Promise by Heaven when Simon and Schuster picked it up back in um, 2015, 16. And um, yeah, so I've written uh, a good few books now at this stage with a few more on the go. You always have one on the side. Wonderful. Um, going. Yeah, my children's books. Um, my very first one was called The Chakra Fairies. And it's a story that I used to tell my daughters when they were little oh. um, in first introducing them to uh the importance of clearing at the end of the day and so I've used the little chakra fairies um to invite them into a conversation of here's what went on today this made me happy this made me feel this way um and at the end of it that the fairy would then take that away so that they started to develop an understanding of how it was their responsibility um, with the assistance of the fairies in this case, um, to digest what had happened and then to let it go. And that they began each day then anew. And this That's was beautiful. the best way not to allow the stuff to build up on itself and how important it was to, to be diligent about clearing oneself and one's energy um, every day. So that's kind of how that started. That's beautiful. And, and, and I'm a childcare provider. So now I know what book I'm going to get kids for that when I have to give a gift. So then I have a book called Hugh and the Manatee. Yes, that's the one I was um, thinking of. That I I have a daughter um, who is bisexual. And at the point when I realized, which was very early on, that this was kind of coming down the pike, um, I was like, there are no kids' books where it doesn't end up with the prince and the princess. and. Um, and I was like, well, you're an author, write it. So I did. And so Hugh and the Manatee takes us through this child, Hugh, who, um, you know, he loves musicals and he sings with his mom and they love to dance and he likes sparkly and glittery things. And he, um, enjoys painting his nails. And so it goes through, um, how he's made fun of then yet simultaneously, he's like really popular. Mm -hmm. So it shows that dichotomy. And it also doesn't put all the focus on just because a child is different. They've had a a wretched, horrible experience. Um, These things can happen at the same time. He's captain of of his swim team. They all love him. Uh, But then there's a few in his life who, you know, think he's funny because he likes to paint his nails. 
And then it takes the children on an undersea adventure. And I used um, all of these aquatic creatures who have the capacity to change gender at will, like the male seahorse who has the babies instead of the mom, um, the sea spiders where the, uh, you know, the father carries the babies and um, a race fish, which can um, transfer from start as female and become male and go back again. Um, showing that this is something in, in nature that, um, you know, that they know that just because they might not feel settled or certain in their body, um, that it's okay. It's, it's all part of, uh, all part of their own personal journey. So that's what Hugh and the Manatee is about. I just appreciated that. I just wanted you to share it because it may not be something that people are aware of. So I really appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. So then there's the pocket coach, which is, uh, of my, um, my father's, um, very incredible words of wisdom that he left behind. Um, uh, wrote a book called bringing death to life with three other authors. And, um, and then I wrote understanding is the new healing. And that was the book that I really, really wanted to write. The first uh, promise by heaven is like my story. It's, yeah all about me and what they ended up doing was removing all of my favorite parts which were everybody else's stories mm. because when you work in this industry when you're in you know when you're into healing and you're there to assist people in finding their own way and appreciating their own stories um that's that's the meat and potatoes of it their stories and so when they took all of those out I'm like well that's a whole nother book and so understanding is the new healing came about because it's um, a very, a, a lovely smattering of examples of the type of people that I would do, um, healing sessions with. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, anybody, the, the idea is that people can find themselves in any one of those stories. And it also became the first audiobook ever to be backed by healing frequency. So it becomes an immersive audio experience where if someone's listening to a story, it it might have elements of something that they resonate with, but the idea behind it, you know, whether it's releasing grief or letting go of something um, that was extremely painful in the past or whatever it is, there is a, a frequency playing in the background that assists the individual in reaching that space. So I'm really proud of that book. That's awesome. And I'm, I'm really interested in that. And I know we'll talk about it. Um, so I'd love to start by talking about your background, your childhood, uh, your spiritual experiences what were you aware of as, as, or, and when were you aware of? Well, it started in the womb. <laughs> yeah. Which is really fascinating. So it really was. It really did start that way. Um, when my mom was, she was in her early forties and found out she was pregnant with me. I'm the last of four. Um, they ended up going into the doctor and my mom and dad were delivered the news that my mother had the German measles. Now, back in the late 60s, this was not a not something that an expectant mother wants to hear because basically they were told, listen, this isn't going to work out well. It's in the first trimester. You need to get your heads around the idea that, um, that something's not going to be okay. And let's just start getting used to that because it's in those early days where everything is forming and, um, you know, it's just not going to be a good scenario. So off they went. My father was a minister and um, it was very interesting because, you know, in his world, um, you know, you'd speak of angels, you'd speak of, of miraculous events and all, but something happened after they had been told this news about the baby. And my dad described it as a celestial visit, which was very interesting because he didn't use that kind of vernacular that you would expect a religious man to use because he couldn't, because he described these beings. um, They, they came to him and basically said, your baby girl is going to be okay. So remember, this is long before ultrasound. And so they identified me as a, a, a girl and they said, she's going to have some unusual abilities and, you know, you're, you're going to be there to help her um, understand, grow, work through these. And so my dad, from that day forward, you know, he just kind of put everything into that. So everything was going to be okay. And sure enough, I was born and I was okay. And um, 
any time from the time I was tiny, if something was going wrong or if I was upset, he always said, you're promised. And that was where the title of the first book came from, because it was dad's way of saying, I was promised that you were going to be okay. And you need to know that you're going to be okay, no matter what. And so um, my parents, as you can imagine, after that kind of experience, um, not only are they trying to uh, make it fit into their box and understanding of, of how life works, and it was just something they, you know, they, they didn't know how to explain. It had happened, it was real for them, um, yet it didn't have an explanation in the world in which they lived. And so you can, you can imagine they were kind of hanging around waiting when they're like, oh, your baby's going to have some unusual abilities, and they're like kind of always waiting and so they're like, it is was, she going to be a javelin thrower or she float around the room? Like yeah. what's happening here? You know, she's levitating. Yes. <laughs> and so it was when I was about four that we had what I call, I always refer to as the kitchen table talk. Mm-hmm. And so dad was also a football coach. He'd been a big football player at university of Richmond and he'd been drafted into the um, NFL and chose to become a minister instead. And, um, it was funny because he had this big booming voice and he comes in and he sits me down and I'm just tiny. And he said, sugar, do you know the difference between alive and dead? And I was like, what do you know? And so what was happening was I would talk to my parents. My best friend when I was little was my grandfather and he was Dr. Garland Clark. He had been a surgeon in Kentucky, my mom's father. And, um, Judge and I had, that was his nickname, Judge. We had the most amazing time together. I loved spending time with him and he was like me. So he had, he could see things and he could feel things. And I I just enjoyed that time with him. And so of course I would tell my parents about it and, um, you know, they would just kind of look at one another. So finally that, that kitchen table talk happens. And my dad's asking me, do you know the difference between alive and dead? And I was, I didn't know how to answer that because it turns out that my grandfather judge had been dead since I was one. Um, He died right before I turned one. And so now they have this whole kind of, oh, this is what they were talking about. She's talking to dead people. And so, um, you know, it was very interesting because there was no manual, no rule book, no, no, nothing came with me. And they had to kind of figure this out for themselves. It was something you hardly want to believe. My mom's secretly super excited on the side because that's her daddy. And, um, you know, they had to learn how to integrate their perception of what's real and the reality that was happening in front of them. And so it started early on and it turned into, um, you know, I would dream things and they would happen. Um, We had a running joke about the fact that my father would sit down as a minister to write a eulogy and often the individual he was writing the eulogy would just pop up in front of me and I'd be like they want you to say this you know oh, wow. <laughs> yeah so childhood was interesting and then you move on into those weird teenage years where all of a sudden when my parents um knew that I was kind of a little different they were like, look, you can always talk to us about it, but let's not talk to anybody else about this. And I think they just didn't know how other people would perceive it um, or, you know, what if I'd be exploited or whatever. So you move kind of in the teenage years and the last thing you want to be is different than everybody else. Yeah. And so it was really something that I tried to suppress. And by the time I got to college um, and I went to college in South Carolina, I had, it was happening all the time. And so I ended up becoming kind of an insomniac because it would happen a lot when I would sleep. I would, I would uh, awaken and there would be somebody there, something happening, my dreams were prophetic. And so I figured at that stage that the best thing was, you know, let's, let's don't sleep. And so um, it was, it was interesting. So, you know, these things were happening all through, all throughout college and, uh, again, the only person I told was, uh, my roommate at the time, because you can imagine you're living in a single room with somebody and I knew something was going to happen at some stage. And I didn't want her to wake up and here's me talking to her dead grandmother. <laughs> um, 
And so I ended up telling her and she was like, oh my God, that's so cool. And, um, you know, so it became kind of a funny joke with us because we were both cheerleaders. And so I would see the score of the basketball game and I'd write it down, stick it in an envelope, put it in my underwear drawer and we go cheer at the game. And then everybody would come back and we'd crack open a beer and there was the score. And uh, it was like, why didn't you gamble? And I just like had no interest. So yeah, it was always, you know, that was, that was the extent of me using these abilities to serve humanity. So I end up um, in the South. It's a funny thing. If you get out of college and you're dating the guy that you were dating in college or the girl or whoever it is, you kind of, uh, your parents are like, okay, we're picking out the China patterns and, and, and the silverware and stuff. And so I was dating a guy from Charleston, South Carolina, and I ended up after we graduated moving there. So at this stage, I had really pushed everything, no matter how much it kept trying to surface to the side. Well, it was December 14th of 1991, and I was working in a sign company. I had my degree in graphic design and I you know, went knocking on the doors thinking I'd, because I had the college degree, I'd get hired straight away. Well, I got hired to mop the floors in this place. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, because this beautiful couple, Frank and Teresa Coyne, they really, really took an interest and took me aside and went, listen, if you ever want to have your own business, if you want to understand how it works, you need to start from the bottom up and you need to understand everything from everyone's perspective. That's how you make a successful business. And, you know, isn't that a great metaphor for life as well? And, um, so it's very fortunate. So I was still, you know, mopping, mopping floors and, and, picking up the trash at this stage. And um, we were having our Christmas uh, Christmas party. And so of course it was South Carolina, it was hot. I'm wearing my Bermuda shorts and a Santa Claus t-shirt and a jingle bell around my neck. And I'm on my way to the Christmas party. And so I get to the traffic lights that are just down the road from where my apartment was. And they intersected with a major highway, which was highway 17. Mm -hmm. And so, I waited at my light and waited and waited. And then my light finally turned and I was going to have to drive across the lanes and then turn left. So I drove all the way across. And when I got to that final lane, I looked and I realized that the car that was coming wasn't going to stop. And it was in that moment that everything changed for me. I was at literally the, the kind of metaphorical and metaphysical crossroads of my life. And so as I suddenly went, oh, I'm getting ready to die. It was as matter of fact as that. And in that realization, everything just slowed down at a snail's pace. And I'm looking and the car is now creeping, creeping, creeping towards me. And I'm like, okay, I've done this before. Oh, I've done this before. Oh God. Yeah, that's right. I've done this before. How do you want to do this? What are you going to do? Well, that car speeds up and it hits me. That is going to hurt because he was going fast. He pedaled to the metal to blow through a red light is what he was doing. And so I was like, well, you know what? I don't think I need to stay in and experience this. The second I made that decision, there was a sound and thus began my love of frequency mm-hmm. because I realized in that moment, that sound, that kind of undulating, it was like a drone that I always described, like the bagpipes warming up. and in that moment, I have made the decision not to stay in the body and I exit. I've come to realize that that sound was one that keeps us tethered to the physical experience. And that's why I'm really, really quick when people are like, oh, somebody's so high vibe or that's low vibe or whatever. I'm like, no, you don't get it. it the high vibes and the low vibes, they're all, they all serve their purpose. And we just get into that bad habit of saying if something is uncomfortable or if it's negative or, you know, it's, oh, it's low vibe. It's like the boxes, you know, it's like, oh, I'm so out of the box and they're in the box. I'm like, we're all in a box somewhere and the boxes serve a purpose. Um, Love that. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was me now hovering above, hearing that sound, looking down and everything speeds up. And that car comes crashing into the side of my car. It T-bones me. So into the driver's side and I'm just watching it. So I am now witnessing my own death. So me, the, the, who I really am is out here and I'm watching 
And I see that car hit my car, spins around the intersection. And of course, traffic is screeching to a halt. My head goes through the window. That's when I broke my neck. And, um, and the car finally comes to a stop in the middle of the intersection. And I'm watching this with, with just detached interest. I'm, I'm observing my own life. And what was really interesting at the time was a girl that I'd gone to college with, which was hours away. And she happened to live in Charleston, which is at this stage, 350,000 people. So she just happened to be at the same intersection. And what stood out to me so much was that I saw her recognize my car and that the the body in that car, which was certainly dead, um, was me. And I could feel everything she was feeling. And it was this kind of like, oh, don't worry, ma'am, I'm good. I'm okay. Everything's like, you know, Um, but it was being able to feel what she was feeling. And it was so fascinating. And so at that stage, then I get to kind of watch what unfolds, which is, you know, now people are out of their cars, they're gathering Um, a lady, the windows are blown out of the car. She puts her name and phone number on the front seat of the passenger side, which was so weird. And um, then a guy comes and he's in uniform. And he reaches in and he turns the ignition off. My body is like this. My seatbelt's there. The seat has folded up underneath me. There's glass everywhere. And I look like kind of a little puppet in suspended animation. And I was just like, oh, how interesting. And it was in that moment then that the sound changed. And so next, it's like, all I can describe is like this celestial symphony. It was just this... Beautiful orchestra of of frequencies um, that you know we've certainly never heard here, and it was that sound that's now taking me out of that kind of attachment to the physical. And so up and out I go, and this is where I think a lot of near deathers talk about the tunnel of light and all that. Well, mine happened so quickly. I was like here one second, and then boom, I was somewhere else. And I'm just in this space and the atmosphere around me was now palpable. Wow. Yeah. That is amazing. I love that. I was actually taking a note. I was listening to you and also writing that down because I loved what you said. You were experiencing that beautiful symphony of frequencies, which so many people talk about. And not everybody kind of, I think, gets to that point where they're in it the way that you were. Um, it, It feels like when people have near-death experiences, sometimes they only go so far or they only kind of, I don't know how it works, but uh, exactly. But I think that is so incredible. incredible. And so many things strike me about, obviously, you're a writer for a reason because you have such an eloquence in the way that you share the story. But (laughs) there are things that stand out to me, which is, I want to, and we will talk more about the frequencies because I know that's really integral to your work now. Uh, but also what I find so interesting is that I'm feeling so much spirit right now too. So I'm sure I might have messages for you after, after we're done talking. Um, but the, um, I know, stop. It's like, they're, they're, they're like, hey, hey. Um, but one of the things that's so interesting is that you had such a connection with spirit out of the, well, when you were in the womb. And I do notice there's a theme with people who have had near-death experiences that there, this wasn't their first rodeo kind of situation. Like it's mm-hmm. almost that the near-death experience was, uh, you already know that the, you're already made aware of the spirit world. You're already interacting with them in some way, shape or form. But then this sort of, and I'd love to hear your take on this. This is just my interpretation. It's as if the other side is like, okay, now we're going to send you to grad school. Like you, you've mm-hmm. already kind of, and now mm-hmm. we're opening up this portal because we need you to understand your purpose. And we're going to show you a little bit more. Um, so I'd love to hear about that from your perspective. Do you agree with that? Do you think that there was some sort of, well, obviously we'll talk about the lessons and the, what led you to into healing, but why do you think this happened to you? Well, because I was using these amazing gifts to predict scores of a basketball game, <laughs> right? you know, I found a girl's earring once her dead father appeared, you know, and he, she'd lost a special earring. He was, you know, and I, that's kind of what I was doing. Yeah. Um, Party tricks. They were parlor tricks. Exactly. And what I found out later 
and in that understanding of how you're the architect of your own life, architect mm-hmm. of your own reality was that I had actually set this up for myself. I gave myself in, a, in the accepted terms in the world that I had incarnated in, in America, in the South, you know, 21 was kind of, you've hit adulthood. I gave myself the 21 years to find my way mm. and I hadn't. And so I had set up that accident. I had created an opportunity. That's why, you know, you don't get mad at the guy who did it. Oh my gosh, I, I'm so grateful that he did it. Um, Cause by all accounts, he was, you know, he was a man, 81 years old. He'd hit a couple earlier that year, should have been off the road. He wasn't. And so it was like, thank goodness, because my accident wouldn't have happened in that way had it been any different. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, why I, you know, because I wasn't utilizing those gifts in the way that I could. And so the accident was there to go, Hey, remember this? And I'm Mm -hmm. like, Oh yeah, yes, I do remember this. Okay. Thank you. And then changed course immediately. So, um, yeah. So for some people, you know, they're opening up to that next step for me. I was like, I had given myself a deadline, obviously knowing that I was going to be the type of personality that I am. I'm so, you know, I'm hopping from this to that and so easily distracted and I'm a clown and I'm, and I'm like, all right, sunshine time to get to work. And so that for me was why that experience took place. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting because, you know, some people don't move on. Well, all of us only move to a certain place where it would be a death experience. It's a near death experience because the physical body temporarily dies in order to have that um, existential experience. But we come back in or else we wouldn't know these stories. Right. Um, right? So, yeah, for me, that's exactly what it was. It was to just to pull the lever to switch me from this track to this one. Yeah. And mm-hmm. how did that experience sort of, I don't mean to say end, because I'm sure you had a lot of rehab and medical stuff to deal with after that, but did you just pop back in? Was it, uh, did you receive all the information telepathically that you needed to know? Or was there some, you know, some people will see an entity say, okay, Mary Helen, now it's time for you to go back and do this. But it sounds like you kind of just had this understanding, like, okay, I get it. It's like the aha, you're like, oh yeah, that's really what it's full of. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, the veil is lifting. Um, So for me, what happened was once I got into that atmosphere where like it was, I I was part of it. You're returning back into that kind of source energy feel of, oh, I'm just a fractal of this big hole. And in that time though, I had two beings that came Um, all the time all throughout my childhood I loved old people and I spent a lot of time in nursing homes as a kid when other kids were out playing and all I looked I could see the uh when the body was amping up for the spirit to exit I could see that I loved that it looked like fireworks it was amazing and I enjoyed being around it so I spent a lot of time around old people and so it stood to reason that the beings would take the form of two elderly people mm. and two elderly gentlemen. And so what I realized that they were my guides and I was like, oh my God, we have guides. Oh yeah, we have guides. And so it was such an amazing homecoming, but they showed up when it was time for my actual review. And we do have a review when that happens. And so the best way I could ever describe it is like an IMAX 360 cinema yeah. And I'm in the center of it. And this was where my mind was completely blown. It absolutely, because um, I was still very connected to who I had just been. I was realizing, you know, by the millisecond what I really was, but I was still very much connected to the story I just exited. And I was like, oh gosh, this is where time got turned on its ear. Because when I did the review, it wasn't a chronological review it was all happening simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, this is incredible. So, you know, you're four years old having that kitchen table talk and I'm 11 years old getting my first bulldog and I'm 17 years old um, in high school and uh, going off to visit a college and going through a rape experience. I'm 16 getting my driver's license. I'm like, like all of this is happening simultaneously and you realize in that point oh not one of these things was more important than the other 
my great accomplishments, my, my accolades, my achievements, the rape, the deaths, that what they were all just experiences in my life in those 21 years. Mm. And it just like blew my mind. I'm like, okay, we're talking about concurrent time. We're talking about parallel realities where I'm this and this at the same time. Oh my God. So coming back into this world in its little 3D, now 4D, now 5D. Yeah, how does um, that feel? It was really, really interesting because, you know, I'm really good at what I do. I'm an extremely poor timekeeper because it just doesn't mean anything to me. I try to be honorable, but I like have a really hard time structuring time because it's just. Yeah. Yeah. Makes so much sense. And I think that's something that is a theme in so many near-death experiences that I've heard is that they realize that time is only linear in this world, in right. this reality or this dimension, whatever you prefer to call it. And mm -hmm. uh, we're so, oh yeah, we're so, gosh, you, this is like, when I get around other people that are uh, intuitive, it's just like the energy, this is the strongest energy I've felt in, like <laughs> in a while. I also had a really powerful mediumship reading last night that I think I've just been on that vibration to the point that where door I is open. Like, yeah, the door is wide open. So sorry for my distraction, but, um, but it's fun. It feels good. Um, so I think that's so interesting. So when you come back, obviously there's this recovery. What, what are your next steps in your mind? Are well, you like, okay, you well know, now here's what I got to do. They made it very clear that, you know, if I chose, and it was my choice, by the way, absolutely 100% my choice. I wasn't forced back, pushed back. And I know some people who have had the experience where they felt like they were forced back in. Um, that was not the case. I couldn't wait to go back in. I was like, oh my God, guys, guess what? You know? Yeah. And um, they said that if I did choose to go back in, that while I had um, uh, done okay with the gifts up to there, they were going to raise the bar. And I was like, that's all right, bring it on. You know, I'm, I'm in. And that those gifts would be enhanced. They would always be there to support but they would be enhanced. And sure enough, they were. Um, so when I went back in, you know, I just like, it's, you wake up and you're in this body that's absolutely mangled. And, um, you know, it was very funny because when they were putting me into the ambulance, I was now kind of coming in and out of consciousness. I actually, even when I came back in and was laying on the pavement, I tried to get up. I didn't realize my neck was, neck broken, was broken. Or I like, so I'm like trying to stand up and then boom, I collapsed down and then I'm coming in and out. And so I'm in the ambulance and I started to cry. And this lady is like stroking my hair and she's like, it's okay. It's okay. We're not going to let you die. And I'm like, I already been dead. You know? <laughs> and um, you don't get it. So when I got into the ER, um, eventually this guy comes in and I'm like, oh, you were at the accident. And he's kind of looking at me and he was the guy in the uniform. So he was the police officer who was the first to arrive on the scene. And so, you know, the first thing he said to me was, you're one lucky little lady. And I'm looking at him and I'm going, oh, I remember. And he's like, do you remember anything that happened prior to the accident? And I was like, oh, yeah. And I said, but, you know, my college uh, sweet mate, she was there. Her name is Mim and you can go talk to her. And there was the lady who came and put the phone number on the front seat of the car. Now he's freaking out because he's the one who had to switch off the engine. My body is obviously dead. You weren't there. He's like, there's no way that you know any of that. So now his world is shifting in front of his eyes because he has no, you know, this is tangible evidence for him that something strange has happened here. And so it was a really interesting thing because like when he left, it was like, um, I'm sitting in there trying to digest what's just happened to me. And I was very, very fortunate because my dark night of the soul after that, because that happens to a lot of people when they've come back in yeah. and they're like, seriously, I got to put this okay, meat yeah. stick back on. It hurts, yeah. you know? Um, but one of the best ways I've always been able to describe what it felt like coming out of the body, because people always want to know, mm -hmm. is that if you've been outside and it's hot and you're mowing the lawn or you're doing your garden and you come in and you're all hot and sweaty and you peel off your dirty clothes and throw them by the washing machine and you go have the best shower ever, the last thing you're thinking about is your dirty clothes. So that's what being out of the body is like. You know, it really is a suit that is here to serve you. 
So the whole design of the mate suit, the whole design of the physical form, the mortal coil, is so that the spirit that is incarnate in the body can get all sorts of, the body's designed to give us all sorts of, of signs and, and alarm bells when we're out of balance, you know, when we're not taking care of ourselves, the body becomes ill. When we're mentally or emotionally not in a good space, the body doesn't function properly. Mm -hmm. um, you know, of course, then the most interesting thing when I first came back was that my grandfather tells me, we, he always talked about we, so he and his little spirit pals, he's like, you know, we're sending you back to school. And I'm like, uh-uh. I just graduated, you know, it's so like I've been in school my whole life and I just got out of college and I'm like, I ain't going nowhere near a school again. And he's like, yeah, and we're, we're going to send you to chiropractic school. And I'm like, what, what is that? Is that the people they make fun of or the, the, what are you talking about? And I'm like, hang on a second, you're a surgeon. How come I can't be a surgeon if I've got to do this? And it was there that he explained to me that in order for me to progress on, that I had to have a vitalistic understanding of the human experience, one that included the mind, body, and spirit in equal measure, that the body was working to serve the spirit as opposed to the other way around. And that to go down the medical route, I wasn't going to get that education and understanding in the chiropractic route where I would be literally a mechanic of the body who's not there to interfere, but to free the body of interference so that the soul can experience the life that it's meant to have. For some people, that's in a, a, a body that's disabled. For some people, that's in a body that's totally able. For some, it's autism. You know, for some, it's I mean, like everybody's going to have a different experience. The whole point of being the body mechanic is that you're freeing the body up in order to have 100% of who they came here to be. Not for everyone to have a perfect body, but a perfect experience. Oh, that's deep. And I love it because I just started chiropractic care this week. Um, it's, it's out of my, I mean, I've gone before, but this is like a program um, mm -hmm. for migraines and SIBO and all these things that I'm dealing with. And I finally was like, there's nothing's worked. I'm on every drug. I get migraines constantly. I'm just popping pills all the time. And I was like, this cannot be there. And I've done tried energy healing and I've tried manifesting better health and you know all the things and I do yoga all the time and I just finally was like something else has to happen here and I'm starting to I've had like four and I'm going almost every day like it's it's like every other day or every day for now and I started to kind of have that feeling too of I'm understanding it's sort of like the chakras aligning like it's it's uh you know, when I do yoga too, I'm starting to understand yoga better and why we do it and what the benefits are. And it's really balancing your energies and I, how great I feel after I do that. And even just in the past few days. And so they get an appreciation for the migraine because without oh, yeah. something that was severe enough to grab your attention, you probably wouldn't have gone in and understood, oh, hang on a second. Chiropractic's actually not about a backache or a headache or whatever. Yes. This is something that's going to become part of my lifestyle so that my body starts serving me. I love that. I, and I, yeah. yeah, I had to note that because it's not that I don't believe in chiropractic. It's just that my insurance doesn't cover it. So I'm like, well, I can't really afford to do it. And now I'm seeing it's one of those how you can can't afford, afford not, to, not do to do it. Right. Um, and I'm, I'm really starting to feel like, oh, this might be the thing, you know, what that's actually going to help. So, um, so you went to chiropractic school, um, mm -hmm. and, tell and me it about was that there journey. that yeah. I was legally able to put my hands on a whole bunch of people. Yeah. Yep. Because what was happening was now, now what the guides had said, we're up in the ante, we're raising the bar. Well, all of a sudden I've discovered now I can touch somebody and it was like, I would see a movie in my mind. Wow. And so somebody would be in a physical or emotional distress, spiritual distress, whatever. And I'd be like, oh, this is because of this. It might've happened in this lifetime. It might've mm -hmm. happened in a parallel reality. It might've happened in a chronologically in 1792, do you know? Um, and so chiropractic allowed me a venue in order to always be touching people all day, every day. And so I started to get really good at understanding the gift and learning. And so, um, and also understanding how important it was to keep the body as clear as possible in order to facilitate healing for the, you know, with these people. Mm 
and that it wasn't you who was doing the healing, that it you were just literally wiping the windows clean so they could find their own way out. And so that was the whole purpose behind that. It was a place where I was able to learn the philosophy, the art, and the science of what it means to be a resident inside of a human body. Mm, that's fascinating. And then mm-hmm. when you, uh, at least, and you still do chiropractic care, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you, I know that now you have your own thing, but at first when you would see these movies, how do you convey to that person? Obviously, if they were coming to you for chiropractic care, it might be kind of not expected for you to say, did right. you know in 1792 that you were, you know, exactly. Yeah. I didn't and, at first, yeah. you know, because then like I'd be working, you know, and then somebody's dead grandmother's in the corner. I'm like, I don't, I only do that on Tuesdays. Right. You know? And so, um, it was very interesting because it was getting more and more difficult, uh, you know, because if somebody's coming to you for one thing and then you try to, to sell them yeah. the idea of something else, um, it can get really dodgy. And so it was getting really uncomfortable for me. So in 2012, um, I was working away one day and this huge, big rugby player comes in and I'm showing him on a plastic model of a spine. This is what's going on. Well, he didn't happen to let me know that he's one of those people that if they put a blood pressure cuff on his arm, he'll pass out. So I'm like going, here's you, here's this disc, here's your spine. And he's like swaying and all of a sudden down he comes. And I heard this sound. It sounded like a piece of paper tearing. And I was like, oh, I hope that was my pants. <sighs> and it was my shoulder coming out of the socket. And so it took that injury. And I have no one to blame but myself because for the year leading up to that, not, 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 you know, it's time to get into the metaphysical healing. Yeah. Okay. But like, I've got two little kids. I'm a single mom. You know, this is my bread and butter. This is, you know, like the, not, not, not high. It's Easter. Do you remember when you said at Christmas that by the spring you were going to do that? Knock, knock, knock. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I wasn't listening. Yeah. And I'm the very person who would turn around and tell other people now, you know, when the signs come, because they do start listening. Well, I wasn't doing it. And so it took an injury like that. And so I was out of work. My greatest fear, oh my God, what happens to me if I can't work? I can't support my kids, whatever. Well, my friends stepped in, you know, I had insurance that covered me, um, you know, a life insurance policy that had an injury addendum to it. And I was okay. And I had to sit for two solid months in bed. And I am like super hyperactive. And it was, you want to talk about sitting with yourself. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. But it was where I made the transition because the following four years, I took to because of the way the shoulder tore, they couldn't do surgery on it. So they were like, I remember going into my own doctor and he was just like, well, that's it. And I went, yeah, I know for how long. And he goes, no, you don't understand. That's it. You're done. And I went, what? And I'm like, don't tell me I'm not, you know, I'm done. Well, it took four years. And in those four years I became, you know, I started really full-time practicing metaphysics And I've had people come from all over the world. Now it's so interesting, the pandemic hits. And I was like, I need to be back in with my finger on the pulse of what's happening because of how it's going to progress from there. So I do both. So I had to be completely taken out of it in order to do metaphysics. And then the pandemic hits and I need a better understanding of what's happening, people's fears, how vaccines are affecting their bodies, whatever. And I needed to be in with a, a, a much larger Petri dish of, of people. Yeah. And so now I do both. That's so interesting. And how did you figure out exactly what to, I mean, I know it's intuition and that sort of thing, but when you were starting your own practice uh, or your own specific practice of doing metaphysical healing specifically, so you see a movie, right? And you're like, okay, um, I can see your timeline. I can see why why you're feeling this kind of pain um, and and this is happening, how do you then treat, I guess, is the best word I can come up with, the, because everyone's different, right? And everyone, and and also what is the, what do you do with that information? Right, because there are some people who it's instantaneous, you know? So when we talk about healing, have people walked through my door with cancer and walked out without it? Yep, they have. But 
as maturity sets in and, and more experienced and, you know, many thousands of people later, you begin to realize that wherever the person is on their own specific story, you know, on their journey, um, there are some people that that's not, that's not beneficial for them. And so you realize that, you know, you send them out the door without an understanding of why they got the cancer. You've done no favors for anybody. Yeah. So this is where frequency comes in. So I would send, you know, I send people out with these um, frequencies. And I was so fortunate many years ago to meet a guy called Greg Papania. And Greg is just a super genius, period, with music production, frequency. And he I was going to ask you. Yeah. So his, yeah. his, his, um, his info, he signs S I N E S like a sine wave signsmusic.com. Okay. And so I could call up Greg and go, Hey dude, this brain tumor has this pitch and he'd create a frequency behind it. So there's literally in my repertoire a frequency that I can palpably give to somebody. So let's say for instance, if somebody's dealing with, um, you know, they were molested as a 12 year old and they can't let go of this. Well, Grief, guilt, fear, shame, anger, self-loathing, they all carry the frequency and that harmonic of about 396 hertz. How do you right? know, how did you know that? Did, did you have any musical training or did it come yes, to you? It, well, but music's yeah. always been a part of my life. And then okay. all of a sudden you just, you just know. Yeah. And then, you know, how do you know it works? Because it starts working. Right. And so you take somebody and you send them out then and go, here's what we're going to have to do. You could go to therapy about this and spend the next seven years filling in the potholes of the road back to that memory, because in reality, all we've got is right now, present time, right? Any fears or anxieties that you have about the future that requires a chemical reaction that takes you to a place that hasn't even happened yet. And anything that you have where you're clinging to something horrible that happened in the past, that's simply a chemical reaction because it's not happening any longer. And so I'm like, oh, it's just a chemical reaction. Well, we can manipulate that with frequency, can't we? Mm. So instead of going in with therapy and filling in the potholes and making them feel better about what happened, so they can travel easier down that road back to that painful memory, you blow the road up. So now the person who they are now in present time with all the skills and understanding and experience they've had they're able to start constructing a new road back to that memory that doesn't involve the trauma, that doesn't involve the pain, where it's not energetically robbing them, where it becomes a piece of wisdom as, a pe as, a, as opposed to something that's a destructive force in their life. And that's how frequency works. That's so interesting. I was going to tell you, I mean, I was going to ask you about this because I'm, um, yeah, I do a lot of, I fall asleep to a lot of frequencies and meditation and binaural beats and things like that. And I've always wondered about that, the frequencies and what, like they'll say frequency for self-healing frequency for anxiety reduction or whatever. Um, so we know that the frequencies, you get that information from, you know, spirit and your intuition. And then, and I, and I, I'm trying to figure out what my question is. So then you give that to the engineer and that person creates well, we also have a basic sound. structure. We were gifted with the solfeggio frequencies, do you yes. know? And so yeah. that those were given as a guideline because believe it or not, the, the human body in all of its glorious complexity is actually pretty simple to operate. So like a liver has a vibe and on every human body, and it might fluctuate, you know, a hertz or two, but it's roughly around the same area. So it's like playing a piano and the piano gets out of tune. The piano's not broken. Uh, it just needs to be tuned back up. So uh, if somebody's having issues with, let's say, liver or pancreatic cancer, so somewhere that harmonic has become out of tune. And so if you go in and that person starts to focus their attention on that specific organ, utilizing a frequency that is in alignment with a healthy pancreas or liver, they begin giving it attention that they probably weren't giving it before because you find out you're sick, you've got cancer, whatever, what immediately comes in? Fear, mm -hmm. right? And so fear becomes the predominant frequency. And so what I'm also finding with a lot of people right now is because of everything going on in the world and everything we've just been through over the last couple of years, People are so super saturated that, again, let's use that 396, for example, 
that they're so super saturated that where fear and guilt and shame and grief carry a roughly similar harmonic, they're so full they can't delineate between them any longer. So this is where a child comes home sick and now the parent's angry. Actually, they're terrified, but it's coming across as anger. Or you're on the road and someone almost hits you and you're like, <gasps> and that should be a moment of, oh my gosh, fear. And now suddenly you're grieving your grandmother's passing. Do you see? So the body gets very, very full. And it's like, there's this chaotic orchestra playing with no conductor. Mm. So you can have the top musicians in the world, but if there's no one there conducting the symphony, they're all going to play a whole bunch of different things that might sound disharmonic. Oh, that makes so much sense. This I'm is so what glad we had this talk. was trying to tell us about the keys to the universe. We're in the three, six, nine harmonic. Can you just a little, I mean, you don't have to go into an extreme depth, but just for anyone who's not familiar and I am familiar and yet I'm still mind blown by it. So if you could kind of explain that for anyone who may not be familiar, that'd be great with the, Tesla and the three, six, nine. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, Tesla was a Tesla's not of, of this world, obviously, you know, and it was interesting because I got the opportunity last Christmas, we stayed in the hotel where he lived when he died. And it's, it was funny, my girl's room, um, it was next door to the room that he lived in. And so it was really interesting. You know, he died very poor. Um, he was hit by a car, didn't recover. Um, you know, he had for a man with such genius, it wasn't about the accolades and the outcome. He died in, a, you know, as many great artists have um, alone and, and um, a pauper. And so, um, but the work that he left in and he was like, look, the keys to this are in understanding harmonics and frequency. And so like, if you look back through history from the dawn of time, it's kind of always been, um, you know, we took a Hippocratic oath. Hippocratic oath is first do no harm. It's being alignment with the individual rather than coming in with your ideas, your agenda, what you think they need or what pharmaceutical company that you're supporting that's supporting you if you sell this particular drug. First, do no harm. That's a frequency of alignment. That's where you're coming in on a frequency of love, a 432 hertz, which is an interesting frequency. Um, you know, the very first song that most people would be familiar with that was actually tuned to that was Imagine by John Lennon. Oh. So music can be tuned to a, a 440, which is what the mass music that we're accustomed to listening to. Um, is about and again it's that symphony it's that music oh yeah that was good but have you ever heard a piece of move, music that moved you chances are it was tuned to a 432 harmonic wow that's so fascinating mm -hmm. so you're all about magic and so what happens is the mainstream world has taken the magic out of a lot of things oh yeah by altering the harmonics but we can just as easily put that magic back, back. In. so that's what I'm teaching people to do and giving them the tools to use like the the app for signs is almost it'll be ready at Christmas where it's going to oh, be cool. so much more accessible for people to go in and actually start utilizing these tools that's what we want we want to create films where they're being scored with frequencies that allow a person to have an immersive experience that can heal them in the watching of it even if it's a scary movie you could take Metallica and tune it to 432 hertz and move somebody's soul. Wow. That is so cool. Thank you so much. I love talking with you about this because it is something that I've never talked about on this, on this podcast, but it is something that I'm vaguely familiar with. And now I'm starting to feel like you hear things for a reason, you know, well, not starting to, I've always known that, but you hear things at the right time for you to receive them. And in my exactly. own healing with my, uh, you know, these chronic conditions that I have, um, <clears throat> It's so interesting because now I'm starting to see that, yeah, maybe this is the key that I've been missing the whole time. Now you understand that your chiropractor yeah. is becoming, he's becoming a facilitator, a conductor to yeah. open up the channels so that your symphony can play in harmony inside that body. Right. That makes so much sense. So in all of this, um, do you still, well, okay. So I know that you do this healing work. Do you also still have constant communication I'm assuming yes with 
the other side or, you know, um, and when you do, I'd just like to hear a little bit more about it. Um, I meant to ask you earlier, when you uh, have interactions with spirit or spirits, um, do you actually see them with your, like see them standing before you like a person? Is it more in your mind's eye? It sounds yes, like you're, yes, yes. yes. Oh, mm-hmm. all of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because depending on what space they're in as well you know, the way that they can access some, you know, some people see signs like the lights flicker or the whatever. It depends on where that, that fractal of this, of the whole is in their own experience, you know, some have mastered the ability to, to lower their frequency enough to come into the earth plane in order to be visible. So it's not just about the receiver. It's also about the giver, you know, so that's so um, interesting. I never thought about it that way. Some can only communicate via the mind. Some can be coming to your mind's eye. Some will come in during dream time when you shut down all the resistance and you're more clear and they can get in through there. Um, So it all depends on where they are. It's like, you know, somebody could lose someone close to them and they're like, I haven't heard anything. And it's been three months. And I'm like, well, they might not be ready to communicate. Right. They might not be, they might be busy. And they're like, what do you mean busy? You know, they're not sitting on a cloud playing a harp somewhere. Yeah. So as I learned, death is just a doorway. You're walking from one experience into another. You're going through a debriefing, you're integrating what you just did on earth. You're deciding if you're going back in, you're deciding if you're going somewhere else. So, um, you know, it all depends. It's very much so depending on the giver and receiver. Yeah, that's interesting. It just brought to mind a friend of mine who I'm actually going to have on the podcast just for a fun little bonus episode. She's had a, she's a medium, but she just, you know, she's Christian and she's like, I, you know, she's like, I'm not going to do it, but she has had super profound experiences of seeing spirit. And she told me a story about, uh, she's just walking down the street she sees this old lady and she's like why is she walking down that little alleyway there's nothing at the end of it it's a little dead end she said the woman turned around looked at her and literally just vanished before her eyes and she's always been like what was that what nobody else I don't know if she said anyone else was around but it does kind of explain what you said how some people can kind of show themselves for a moment it's almost like they're walking through dimensions and, and, kind of, and, they're, and they're gifting her with the opportunity to go hey have you gotten caught up a little bit in that box that you're in have you become a little small you know it's like the religions of the world they all serve a purpose and they meet people where they are in certain stages of growth but they're not the end all be all to anything you know yeah. god has no religion source has no religion That's religion is there for us it. to you know for us to focus in on something we get better when we're in a box, we get better. And then we grow out of that box and move to a new box. Right. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful way to put it. So from all you've experienced, what is it? What's one of the, I just ask this all the time and whatever comes to mind, it's a big question. What do you want people to know? Oh, it's simple for me. You already are that which you seek. I love that. That's it. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. I loved, I love your story. There's so much that resonated. I have so much, there's so much energy happening, um, just spiritually <laughs> in, in the room with you. I mean, you just have such a bright energy anyway. Well, you. You're a very high vibe. Um, but, but, <laughs> but, uh, I thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and taking the time to share your story for the umpteenth time and for just being so fun to be around. And it's a privilege um, to be able to share it. And so for me, it's like the first time every single time. I love that. That makes me so happy. And I'm going to have links to all of your, your things below. Um, I know that you, on your website, that people can book with you and that sort of thing. Is there anything else uh, that I'm missing that isn't on your website or that you want to share? Not at all. Other than just, I'm kind of, I'm inundated with requests for healing sessions online and I just, I can't keep up with them at the moment. Yeah. Um, You know, so I'm actually creating some new ways to deal with that. One of those things will be actually on that signs app where I've made a little show uh, where I'm answering a lot of the questions that people are looking for, because ultimately, you know, I I have a chapter in one of my books called Jerusalem and, Uh you know, this idea that people think they need a guru or someone, nah. You know, you are your own guru. And if we can give people back the tools that have always been there, but for whatever reason have been suppressed and, you know, just giving, giving it back to people, um, the opportunity to find out that they already are that which they seek. 
and that this experience isn't supposed to always be happy, happy, joy, joy all the time. And we've been fooled into believing that if we're not happy, healthy, perfect, comfortable, that we're not having a valuable and valid human experience. And so, you know, it takes the dark and the light threads to weave a beautiful tapestry. And people need to remember that in their, in their pain comes their growth and their understanding. And, um, you know, so like I, you can imagine after being smashed to bits, I wake up every day and I'm in pain every single day of my life, have always been. And I ask myself one question before I get out of bed. And it's, is the pain you're in right now bigger than what you want to go do today? And it's always no. That's beautiful. That's such a perfect place to end. Thank you so much, Dr. Mary Helen Hensley. Thank you so much for this, having me. Oh, what a, what a privilege. Again. Thank you. Yes, definitely. Thanks. <laughs>